welcome to episode 244 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have as our featured guest, community activist Patrick Clark, one of the leaders of a group called Friends of Lackawanna. And their main goal is to stop the expansion and perhaps even the existence of a landfill in northeastern Pennsylvania. We'll talk to Patrick about the rationale, the challenges, and the strategy, among other things. Great conversation today with community activist Patrick Clark. We also have another wonderfully crafted and beautifully read essay by our associate producer and resident essayist, Dr. Michael Pavis, a.k.a. Uncle Cesare, titled Chicken Legs. We have an essay by yours truly, an E.W. essay, titled Town Dump, and a poem titled Stinks. And, of course, as is always the case, all of this is ensconced, complemented by several great tunes. Let's get to it. Episode 244 of Troubadours and... Rock on tours. Thanks for tuning in. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Ellen Cool J with the triumph and comeback. More But tonight, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I'm rocking my pants. What's up with the beer? Making the tears rain down like a monsoon. Listen to the bass go boom,
upstairs and take out that garbage. Town dump. How do you measure your success? Because others in your life refrain from seeking redress? Is it more determined by the sense of approval and acceptance you receive from your peers, family, and friends? Is it all moot because instead it is governed by what some mighty existential power has dubbed for you destined? Thus you will transcend. Shall the meek inherit the earth? Do the opulent privilege set the standard and define how we should strive and what we should tweak? Is it the money and possessions you accumulate, the family you help to cultivate and raise, is your success directly proportional to the number of righteous causes you spearhead, support, and celebrate? Are we instead wired to find security in the power clan and jealous, too, of those who are less affiliated yet with talent and drive doing their own goddamned thing? Do we all pay in the end when it is time to cash in, my universal friend? Alabaster white with a conflagration of warm orange-red hue. It is not all about me, nor is it all about you. Though the stardust we are connects us and feeds us through so many galaxies of space beyond the old growing town dump and its wretched smell that we chase. Hallelujah and bonjour. Day about 25 years from now When we've all grown old from a wondering how We'll all sit down at the city dump And talk about the good old days Oh, you'll pass a joint and I'll pass a wine And anything good from a down the line A lot of good things went down one time Back in the good days Yeah, the good old days are past and gone Good people are done, gone, gone That's my life when I sing this song About back in the good days Times we get to thinking that we're almost done And there ain't nothing left that we can figure out And I guess it must have seemed a lot more like that Back in the good days But when you gotta go, you gotta go Always somebody, don't you know I hang around to say it Well, I told you so Back in the good days Yeah, the good old days Are past and gone A lot of good people are done, gone, gone 
Patrick Clark from Friends of Lackawanna. Nice to have you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Thanks for having me. So um, we have several things we're going to get into. And for those who don't know anything about uh, what you're doing, how about we summarize your journey? I mean, you're, a gra- you're, you're one of the leaders of Friends of Lackawanna, as I mentioned, a grassroots group that has a specific focus. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, again, the journey? Yeah, that's a great starting point. So we are, as you mentioned, a grassroots group of people that came together uh, for one specific reason. It's kind of grown a little bit, but our specific reason was uh, we live in northeastern Pennsylvania, and uh, we are home to two mega dumps, uh, landfills in in polite speak. And one of them uh, is looking to expand for another approximately 45 years or so. So when a bunch of us got together and kind of read that and learned about it and researched it. We thought, well, that doesn't really make too much sense. Uh, and we started researching it. And the more we researched, the more we found out it definitely doesn't make sense. Uh, so we formed an organization and started uh, doing some grassroots work to try to stop that expansion. Yeah, and, and uh, it's it's been, I suppose, a, an interesting experience for you. And the rationale, uh, you kind of touched on it. It's basically you don't believe that your community should have two landfills uh, in it or near it. It goes a little bit bigger than that, but yeah, I think that's a good a good starting point. Um, in terms of the, the rationale of what I thought, it, you know, it started instinctual. It's just, you know, you talk about there is something that kind of looks like a mountain, but when you dig into it, it actually is an engineered structure that has, you know, 35 million tons of garbage there. So like 70 billion pounds of garbage. Um, that it's going to be the tallest structure in the area. Um, I think that rubs most people instinctually wrong, like, hey, that can't be good. Um, and then you get – but but just having instincts and anecdotes aren't enough. So then when you start digging in and, and kind of looking at the numbers and the research and the groundwater contamination, the air emissions and everything else, you realize 
no, you've got to do something. So you're not going to just sit on the sidelines and complain. You need to get involved and try to actively fix things. And is this the first time you've uh, pursued this sort of grassroots campaign with this organization? Yeah, that's inter- <laughs> interesting enough it is. And it, I think one common thread throughout all of the kind of core members of the Friends of Lackawanna that, that do you know the majority of the behind-the-scenes work, this is all of our first grassroots effort collectively. There's no professional on the squad. Uh, we're a 100% volunteer-run organization, uh, and interestingly enough, comprised exclusively of people that have never done this before. In a lot of ways that sounds crazy but in a lot of ways uh it's been a blessing in disguise because kind of what you don't know can't hurt you so you get into this and you don't know how much work and how much time and how much effort it's going to take so you just do it um i think some more experienced professionals would have said hey be ready for what you're getting into it's going to take a long time well how long have you been going at this when did this start uh, yeah we're, we're celebrating uh next week actually our third anniversary our third birthday so we're three years old three years old and you've been uh dealing with Local governments. You've been dealing with your your uh, peers and your fellow citizens in the community, uh, and you've also been dealing with state government. I don't know, sure. maybe a little bit with federal government as well. And right now, I know I I read an article uh, that there there was a significant uh, situation in the judicial uh, system, yep. uh, and uh, that had to do with standing. You want to give us a little background on on that? I know you talked about the. Stru- <laughs> I know it started at the zoning board level, right? Yep. And then it went to the – so if you want to. Yeah, and I, I'll do this without trying to, to bore the audience too much. But you know, in terms of – there's three separate kind of fights, quote-unquote, going on right now. One is with zoning. One is a uh, challenging their operating – the license to operate right now. Uh, and one is on the expansion itself. All of those are three different bodies as well. And what I mean by that is the expansion sits purely at the DEP level right now. That's the Defi- Department of Environmental Protection for Pennsylvania. The uh, issue on the operating appeal is a, a currently a case a case being litigated right now with the Environmental Hearing Board, which is a ju- judicial body in the state of Pennsylvania as well. And the zoning case is now in the Commonwealth Court level. Um, that's a, actually is being uh, tried right now as well. And the last one that's to do with standing. Is that the- yeah, exactly. So the zoning case, you know, to, to bring your zoning case, you have to prove that you have standing, um, and standing gives you the you know the ability to bring a case forward because you are you know are an individual or a group that has the right to do so. Um, on the lower level of courts, unfortunately, they ruled that we did not have standing. By we, I mean not just Friends of Lackawanna as an organization, but three uh, homeowners that are three of the closest homes to this landfill in the town of Dunmore, which is where the landfill sits, and they said that there's not enough direct harm. Uh, and our arguments are, no, that's you're using the wrong kind of case law and, and law to get to that conclusion. So we appealed that decision uh, to the next level court up, which is the appellate court in Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth Court. Uh, what we're hoping to get at that level is the court says, hey, no, no, you do have standing, in fact. So let's get to the merits of the case, because unfortunately, if they rule you don't have standing, you don't even get to the merits. Uh, so what we're trying to do is say, okay, let's, we do have standing. We believe we have legal standing. Let's get to the merits of the case, and that's the next step, hopefully. When when uh, are, are they going to hear your arguments about standing regarding standing? Uh, yeah, they're going back and forth now in terms of setting dates. They the the two legal teams are briefing uh, each other at the court back and forth, and I, I don't think the actual uh, argument date has been set yet. It should be set pretty soon, though. Why do you think you, uh, as an organization, and also those uh, several residents you mentioned, why do you think you have standing? Why do you think you have a yeah. right? <laughs> I'll try to distill it down from the 100-page documents that are going back and forth, but <laughs> I think the easiest way to do it is the, kind of the case law that they're using uh, was reliant upon, for example, a case that uh, ruled on a, a billboard that was six foot by 10 foot in terms of size. And 
they said, well, how close were those people? And it was a couple blocks away, and it wasn't close enough. Uh, therefore, there's no standing. Our argument is you can't use that same measurement statistic when you're talking about a 750-acre mega facility. There's differences in scale and scope, and in terms of who is impacted, um, you've got to have a different interpretation of who is in- impacted and who can be impacted and who can use zoning as a protective right to protect their home and their property. Right. That seems reasonable to me. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if the courts agree. Now, what about the issue of a structure? Is that still an issue, whether or not the landfill is indeed a structure? Yep. So that's the case. You know, if we get to the merits, that will ultimately be one of the, the issues decided upon. The states, the state courts in Pennsylvania have already decided very clearly um, that the landfills, modern landfills, are in fact structures. So it's not much of a, a legal argument anymore that's already been decided on by the courts. Our goal is to get past the standing hurdle to then be able to get to the uh, issue of structure. And if it is a structure, which the courts seem to indicate it is, well, then it should be governed by the height laws uh, of the municipality. So that's why the supporters of the landfill want the standing issue to be the to to be where it ends. Sure. Yep, of course. Yeah. Uh, yep. And when you talk about um, the height, mm-hmm. the height uh, is governed by the local zoning law. Right. In in terms of local zoning law, we'll tell you this is how big a structure can be. Uh, if you're a structure, you have to live up to that height. Now the question is going to be. You know, um, can we get to that point and show that we have standing? Therefore, we can make that call, that claim. And what's the height uh, maximum oh. <laughs> now? That, that's a good question. Uh, the, the zoning maximum is 50 feet uh, in height. Uh, this thing's already a couple hundred feet tall, and they're going to grow a couple hundred feet more. Um, that's our whole point. You're already breaking the, the zoning laws right now, so you shouldn't be allowed to grow anymore. And this is one, that, to be clear, this is kind of one of three parallel uh, legal offenses we've taken Um Unfortunately, the way to, to, to win these things is, is time-consuming and costly, but it's, it's through the courts and the regulation and the, and the agencies that are in hand. So we're taking that path, even though it's, you know, the, the wheels of justice turn slowly, as they always say. But um, that's unfortunately the way you have to do it. Well, now, thank you for giving us some of the particulars, a backdrop in a, in a way. Uh, uh, and I, I guess you could share why you think more, I guess, uh, in in plain terms, the yeah. the uh, the landfill is is not something that should continue to grow in your community. Right. I, I think if and this is an issue that's you know I'm not sure how it, this our issues are not specific to every region or locale around. But what we have been inflicted with is there's this notion of kind of uh, environmental justice, and what that concept means is that if you look at regions that uh, have a bunch, you know, typically it's the regions that have either a low level of uh, income or a high level of uh, minority population. They bear a disproportionate amount of the risk of environmental and polluting industries. And so we are classified in sections of our area as one of those based on income. Um, our point is if you go back all the way back to kind of the coal days, we've gotten. Uh, the raw, the short end of the stick environmentally, which impacts your quality of life and your progressive futures for decades and, and generations to come. This is another example of that. And what we're trying to do is get ahead of it because you've got, you know, if this expansion goes through, for example, you're looking at 40 plus, 45 years plus uh, of more of garbage being the defining industry of the region. That is in no way going to help the future uh, of this region in terms of possibilities. 
uh, industry um, desire to stay here for future generations. And what we're trying to do is stop it now so we can get ahead of it and start planning for a more uh, progressive and modern future instead of always being 10 or 20 or 30 years behind the curve. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I guess that there's a negative connotation in your view when there's a big landfill, one of the biggest you can ever imagine, in yeah. your community. So why would people want to move their companies or move their families to that region? And maybe why would people who are here want to stay? They might want to yeah, live. And it, yeah, I, I think the statistics of of this landfill in specific, uh, and, and more generally, you know, society as a whole, kind of answer that question for you. And what I mean by that is, if you take a look at you know where landfills are. There's a there only mega landfills. You know no one's starting new landfills and thriving residential areas anymore. Why? Because it's an undesirable use and it drives away business in, in homes. Um, there's a reason that 65% of the garbage coming into this landfill specifically, and to put that into scale, they take uh, about 500 trucks of garbage a day, 7,250 tons of garbage a day. About 65% of that every day is coming from out of state. Why? Because it's cheaper to put it in our backyard than it is to handle your own waste. Um, so the, you know, the economics of things dictate that landfills aren't desirable in your neighborhood. And as long as there is places that will accept it that aren't in our backyards, and it happens to be in this backyard, let's keep doing it. Um, so that it kind of it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you have more space, it will get filled up with garbage because no one else is going to want to put it in their backyard. And how many tons a day did you say? 7,000. Up to Their average is uh, allowance is up to 7,250 tons per day. Wow. And most of that is from uh, the area itself or from outside the area? No, 65% of it is from out of state. Um, I don't know exactly how much of it's local. If we defined it as maybe the northeast corner of the state, uh, I, I would guess of the remaining 35%, maybe half of it is local. Uh, and the other half comes from other parts of the state as well. And the region we're talking about for people who don't know is northeastern Pennsylvania. The biggest city is Scranton. And the the towns, the boroughs that this landfill uh, are in, Dunmore and Troop. Yep, exactly. It, it, it straddles both lines. Yep. Uh, and you're a Dunmore resident. Correct. Uh, you have a family. You live in Dunmore. You have children. Yep. Live in Dunmore. I have uh, five little kids. Yes, yes. And uh, how about the challenges to the organization, you know, grassroots versus corporate power. How, how is that working out for you? I think that's been playing out for, for centuries in our country, and, and most of the times it works out okay. Um, for us, it's been, it's been an interesting uh, challenge. Um, first, because we kind of had no experience going into it, which, I, again, I think ultimately was a, a blessing for us. Um, but grassroots, you, you never know what you're by, – by virtue of being a grassroots organization, you never know how strong or how popular or how uh, broad your support is going to be. Um, so you start off with one people and two and then five and then ten, and the next thing you know, you've got a couple hundred. The next thing you know, you've got an online community of a few thousand, um, and it keeps growing and growing. So your kind of support and, and the growing support is – a good in indicator of whether or not you're succeeding or not and whether or not your message is resonating and your cause is resonating with the larger audience at whole. Uh, we have found that it has, and we found that it has because the issue of which we're fighting for is important to a lot of people. Uh, and, and so the 
inverse of that is probably also correct, right? The issue is also equally as important to these corporations that that make money and, and earn their money by virtue of this. Uh, so they're putting up their a fight as well. They they, tip, they have more money than us. They have more lawyer, lawyers than us. Uh, they don't have more people, and they don't have the support that we have, though. And that's the you know where where does where is power found? You know, power is found in a bunch of different definitions uh, in a broad base of people that care about kind of the future and well-being of their of their families and their and their area. Uh, we found it to lie with us. And do you find that it's been a pretty clean fight so far? <laughs> clean in terms of what? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, by the rules. Uh, by the rules, yeah, it's probably by the rules. I would say so. Yeah, there's always stuff that goes on behind the scenes in terms of, you know, this is one of the larger. Um, the owners of this specific facility are, are very uh, wealthy and powerful individuals in in, in northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, in Pennsylvania as a whole, and, and it probably extends farther than that. Um, so there's been some, you know, some contracts, financial contracts that have been lost, and, and service contracts that have been lost by people that have supported us, and uh, some, you know, threats of not, not physical threats, but hey, don't don't support them or else uh, you'll lose some business, and that's happened. Uh, and to to our supporters' credit, they've stuck by us, and that hasn't deterred them one bit. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's as as old as uh, these conflicts too. That sort of yep. pressure. Yeah, that's the leverage that a, a power has, and, uh, and they use it. Exactly. Uh, now, how about personally? Challenges personally. I mean, this is your life could be a lot easier, I'm sure, in some ways, if you didn't take this on. Oh, it's not just me. I mean, we've got a, a group of about ten people that make up the kind of day to day work. Well, all ten uh, of you, I'm sure. All ten of yeah, you. Yeah, so I, I, I can speak for all ten of us because the, the issues we face are all similar. Um, pretty much, we're all <laughs> people that have families, and and all of us have full time jobs as well. So the stress, the strain on us is 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 that of time, and it's you know an issue if you just make time for it. Um, Yes, it's a lot of responsibilities, and some some of us do more speaking and talking than others. But everyone's working, be it out in front or behind the scenes, and, and it's just an issue of time. And, and it does get hard with with kids and, and priorities with all that as well. So uh, yeah, there's a couple nights where you'd like to get a couple more hours of sleep, uh, but you need to catch up on some stuff with with friends like on as well. So you do it, uh, and the support and the the continued fighting spirit of the core group of people is kind of what's made friends of Lackawanna what it is it'd be it would have been a, as you mentioned a heck of a lot easier just to kind of talk but not do anything a long time ago and kind of just let it fall by the wayside fortunately our group isn't made up of people like that and, and kind of you start it's like a team sport you encourage people and it kind of you get that jolt of energy you need from your friends and your team and, and it keeps going that that sounds about right. And how how about the community as a factor in your work? Are you? Yeah, I mean, you God, were, go ahead. God bless our community. And what I mean by that is they've stuck with us for three years. Um, the the leading newspaper in our area is, is called the Scranton Times, and um, they do every year to put it in context. Every year at the end of the year, they do a. Uh, I don't know the exact title, but it's something like the top ten regional stories of the year, uh, news stories of the year, and. We have been the top in the top ten news stories for the last three years running, and I'd be surprised if we're not in there again. Uh, so for for you know we've been around for three calendar years, but it spans or three years, but it spans four calendar years. Um, it's tough in in the world of Snapchat and in Twitter and Facebook, where <laughs> attention is the biggest commodity, uh, and it is oftentimes spent in minutes instead of days, months. The fact that we're at years now, and we still have as much support and a growing number of support is just an enormous testament to the people of this area and the support that we've got and, and how much this issue matters to them. They easily could have faded away by now, but that is, in, in fact, the exact opposite is happening. Yeah, and I think you hit it right on the head. It's the issue. The issue is so uh, it's so important. It doesn't, 
it's not something that is, is, is just going to grab one's attention for a news cycle and they'll forget about it because it, exactly. if they live here, it really affects, in their minds, I suppose, affects who they are now and, and who, uh, what the area will be in the future, how it will affect their uh, descendants and, and so on and so on. Exactly. Um, yep. Now, you, you have uh, community support. And, and the thing that's interesting, I'm from the same community as you. Uh, this community, I mean, some of the people that you're, you're involved uh, in this conflict with are also, I'm sure, in, in some ways, uh, f- friends uh, to a certain extent, people you work with, people that you've grown up with, because it is a small intertwined community. How, that must be difficult. Yeah, that's an inch. It is this region as a whole. I kind of we always joke everyone knows everyone, and you're related on some level to your fourth cousins with everyone. Um, right, that's not actually true, but it feels that way sometimes. So what we found though is uh, we have a very simple solution, and I don't mean to to kind of distill it down to that. But what we decided when we very the very first day we started is our fight and our issue will always be on the issue and the subject matter at hand, not the people and the owners behind it. Uh, and by keeping it professional in that manner, uh, we've been able to succeed because it has not turned into a name-calling, uh, you know, overly emotional fight in terms of who it, we focus on the what. Um, it, you know, we've, we've, we've gotten, you know, we've met with the governor of Pennsylvania twice. You know, Senator Casey has been a, a staunch supporter of ours since the start. State Senator Blake, Congressman Cartwright. Um, you know, so the highest local elected officials our region has to offer have all supported us without question and unha- without hesitation. You don't get that level of support um, by being a, an ad hoc group that doesn't think through your decisions and kind of go, thing- go about things systemically and professionally. And the way to do that is to keep it on the issue. Um, don't deviate from it. Don't go into the personalities. Don't go into the ownership. Uh, stay on the issue, and it helps things stay uh, above board. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's not personal in the in terms of the issue you're fighting for. It affects us personally, and you know, every I mean, yeah. we're human beings. But you can't. You're right. I mean, you're obviously someone who is is well educated in this area too. You're an attorney, I believe, right? You're 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 trained to to be able to uh, to do. I'm this. trained, but don't. I'm trained, but I don't practice. Let me let me give the full disclosure. So I'm a licensed attorney. I just don't use it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure it's helped you to to uh, be a critical thinker, an independent thinker, to know how to separate your emotion from the rational pursuit of you know whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And I commend you. That's what you. That's what we all need. We all need to do that more more often. I, I'm sure. I I could use a little more emotion at times, but yes, I I, I probably fall too far on the other side of that. <laughs> <laughs> Now you you mentioned government and you mentioned uh, state and uh, federal level. What about more local? How how has that been for you dealing with you know council city councils and zoning boards and planning commissions yep. and things like that? So that's where it all started. That's where this whole thing started. This whole thing got you know kind of got launched in in a series of local uh, municipal um, borough council meetings, and that's kind of where people started meeting and talking and getting ideas together. And that that really was the birthplace of Friends of Lackawanna, uh, and and kind of launched the entire grassroots movement from there. Um, and and an issue that is as wide, you know, the, the fact that this this facility and this the implications of any expansion are so large speak to the type of people you're talking with, right? If this was just a backyard dump, as some local people would have, do you believe? Do you think a federal senator would stand up on a podium and give his his endorsement on it? Would the would the governor take multiple meetings with you if it was just a small issue? Do congressmen take the time uh, to pass? Um, 
to pro propose bills on the federal level to help protect states that are in, you know, have to take everyone's garbage as to what they can do and how they can protect it. No, they, they have other things to worry about. Uh, that in and of itself speaks to how big of an issue this has become. Right, and you're talking about uh, Senator Casey. Uh, you're talking U.S. Senator Casey. You're talking about yep. Governor Tom Wolf. You're talking about um, uh, U.S. Representative Matt Cartwright. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. And they and, and Senator Casey, it, 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 you know, has introduced some some legislation in the Senate uh, called the Trash Bill, and Congressman Cartwright has inter, you know introduced a sister legislation to that in the House. And, and what that is, you know, the goal of that is to kind of, you can't restrict garb the flow of garbage due to the Interstate Commerce Clause in right. the Constitution. But but what they're trying to do is is give the states a little bit more teeth to regulate what comes in and how it comes in. Uh, in other words, you've got to live up to our standards, and if our standards are higher, you've got to live up to those standards as well. Um, so there's stuff like that moving its way through, and that, that's an encouraging sign because for decades that was never taken into account. No one looked at it, and it kind of just uh, – we just became you know, the dumping ground for the, a lot of the Atlantic seaboard for a while, and, and, and we think it's, it's time to put a stop to that. Well, Patrick Clark, this could really you know, affect the nation as a whole. Uh, you know, if you if you keep on circles around it, it certainly could. You know, everyone produces garbage, and everyone garbage has got to go somewhere. Uh, the, our answer to that kind of conundrum is: listen, as long as there's cheap space to dump it, like in our backyard, there's no impetus to change. So we've got to shift our mindsets from that of a linear economy where we make use and then throw away to that of a circular economy where we're making, reusing, recycling, uh, redistributing uh, down from our product design to our, our manufacturing processes down to our distribution. Um, none of that's going to change. Like the rest of the world has already done and is already doing because we've got so much cheap landfill space around. We don't need any more landfill space. We've got to take it upon ourselves to shift our mindset. And if we can shift our mindset, the results are going to follow. Excellent. Excellent. Patrick Clark. Now, your strategy from here with Friends of Lackawanna, you know, you have all kinds of things you're waiting to, to be ruled yep. on, basically. What's the strategy from here? <laughs> yep. Uh, push forward all those things. And, it, it, you know, I know from a public and outsider view, it looks like the wheels of justice turn slowly. Uh, however, when you're working on the documents and the files and the review and kind of gathering support internally, it's there every day. So we're, we're overloaded with work right now and will be for the foreseeable future. So we're focused on, you know, we keep our eye on the prize and, and focus on those three things because those three things, those three tacks are, are going to be what allow us to win. Um, so it may not always, there's not a news story every day, although the amount of news that's been generated by this is, quite frankly, astounding. Um, it is something that, you know, and I think that's a lesson for groups as a whole can take, you know, kind of get your moral compass or your organization or your mission statement compass straight uh, and always look at it. It's easy to get distracted. There's a lot of, you know, what, you can go off on a lot of different side roads. But if your mission is clear and your purpose is clear and you're, you've got some organizational strength behind you by building up that grassroots uh, support, it makes it a lot easier to focus, and there's always stuff to do, and you have to just keep doing it day by day and day by day. You can't you can't take big swings and you know hope it's gonna every three months kind of check in. It, it's got it. You got to have your pulse on it every day, and if you do, you can kind of do some big things. And it, it doesn't feel like it, but when you take a step back and look at it from a, a wider angle lens, uh, it becomes pretty evident that there's a reason grassroots organizations in this country uh, can be so successful. It's because you know it's a it's a it's a uniquely American way of tackling things. Yeah, uniquely American, and how, I agree with you. Well, why, why do you think that's the case? Why is it uniquely American grassroots groups? I think there's an there's a there's an element of entrepreneurial spirit and um, create your own future or create your own destiny uh, that kind of runs through 
uh, most grassroots organizations. And because my, my theory, and I'm not an expert on that, though, is because the purpose is what's driving the group's progress. It's not an individual force or personality. Uh, and when people can align behind a purpose, you're going to find more often than not that you can get a lot more done. Yeah, well put. Well put. So I, uh, I wish you the best with the standing case coming up. Uh, Thank you very much, and that's you know that's one of one of three or four things we've got going on. Uh, we expect to win there, and we'll keep going forward with it. Not just that, but everything else as well. If if it if it doesn't if it doesn't go through at the appellate level, then you go to the state supreme court. Is that? It depends on how they rule. Yeah. Um, so you know, I don't know the actual legal implications of what that happens. Um, so I, I can't really answer that too thoroughly. Yeah, there are too many factors involved. I understand. Yep. Well, I again, I commend you, and uh, it is it is nice to to uh, talk to someone who is is sort of putting their their hat in in uh, in a ring that a lot of folks will not throw their hat in because it I is guess that, you know hard work and and a lot oh, of pressure. And I think that's kind of would be one of my closing thoughts in, in terms of there's so many issues and so much i mean the news cycles now are so loud and so i mean oh my gosh if you turn on the news for 10 minutes you, you want to turn the tv off um pick something you know if any listener out there anyone's you know hearing this if you have an issue that you care about focus on something local and just get involved the first the hardest thing is just starting to get involved it's like starting a business the hardest thing is just getting started once you get yourself involved in organizations all over, always looking for help of all sorts, figure out what you're good at, figure out what cause is important to you, and you can contribute. And once you start contributing, you'd be amazed how many other people uh, that are like you would like to contribute as well. And that's how, that's, how, that's how things change. If you want to make things better, you can't just sit there and complain and, and post things online. You've got to get involved, get your hands dirty, and, and, and try to make a difference. Oh, that's wonderful. W- wonderful insight. Patrick Clark from Friends of Lackawanna. And if anybody would like to contact you to get some more information, uh, just look on Facebook. or Facebook, yeah, Facebook. If you go to Facebook, so search Friends of Lackawanna. We've got an active, uh, an active community there. And we've got, of course, our website as well at, at www.friendsoflackawanna.org. Thank you so much, sir. Awesome. Thank you so much. Always nice talking. Take care. Money's the meat in the coconut. Money's the meat in the coconut. Money's the meat in the coconut. Money's the milk in the jug. A monkey married a baboon. A baboon took that ring. She reached right up and kissed him. And the bride began to sing. Money is the meat in the coconut. Money is the meat in the coconut. Money is the meat in the coconut. Money is the milk in the jug.
washboard and a worn out griddle Just listen to the old folks go whoop, whoop, whoop. Money is the meat in the coconut Money is the meat in the coconut Money is the meat in the coconut Money is the milk in the jug Money is the meat in the coconut Money is the meat in the coconut Money is the meat in the coconut Money is the milk in the jug Chicken Legs I was the first person in my family to go to college, breaking the chain of miners and factory workers and laborers and peasants and, no doubt, layabouts, stretching back generations to misty towns in Ireland and dusty hamlets in Italy. Except for the priests and nuns, members of the clergy escaped their poor or working-class origins by joining the church in its crusade for souls. They left their class for the highest class possible. Like my cousin, who fled his fidgety, overbearing mother for the seminary and a life teaching in Catholic schools, eventually becoming a principal and, finally, a superintendent. He died young of cancer. I remember a last hospital visit when he frantically took notes on the cancer's progress on a yellow legal pad, an administrator to the end. Or like my uncle, my father's brother, who left his large family as a teenager to join the Oblates of St. Joseph order. He received more education than anyone in his family before. One brother entered the mines, one brother opened a shoe repair shop, and my father, after a career in the army, became a mechanic at the A.M.P. bakery. My uncle the priest studied in Italy during World War II and returned to the United States to have a long, varied career in his order, ending up as a beloved parish priest. He was fated at a celebration for the opening of, of a parish hall, and when he died, at his viewing, a line of parishioners extolled his kindness for hours and told me how much he meant to them. I wasn't headed for the mines or the seminary, but it was no less profound a leap when I gathered the college application materials on our dining room table. My mother couldn't handle financial aid applications, so I completed them myself. I could barely make it through them, although I'm sure they were relatively straightforward, and it wasn't if, as if we had assets to hide, or, for that matter, assets. What I discovered, much to my surprise, is that we were poor. We were below the poverty line at the time, which meant that I qualified for government grants, much more generous in those days, and that I could annoy my mother with my newfound knowledge. Hey, Mom, we're poor, I said as I finished up the paperwork. No, we're not, she said. We're middle class. We were nowhere near the middle class, of course. That land of the lucky, split-leveled, shag-carpeted, two-car-garaged, apple-cheeked, father-mother-brother-sister unit as seen on TV. We had been raised on Social Security payments since my father's death. FDR outpaced Jesus as our da daily savior. And by the time I applied for financial aid, 
My siblings had aged out of their payments, so the checks had dwindled down to cover just my mother and me. My mother had re-entered the workforce for the first time since World War II and had a job as a clerk in a downtown department store. Our tiny house was, I think, long paid for, although I do remember a lien dating back to the Depression. But there was insurance and food and clothes. My mother liked her clothes and enjoyed duding me up and used cars and electricity and heat and the Christmas club and lots of incidentals, most of them for me. Money must have been incredibly tight, and yet I never thought of myself as poor until I saw the government statistics on the financial aid form. We never thought we were poor, my mother used to say about growing up in the Depression. Everyone was poor. Maybe that explains her attitude to her class. She was well aware that others had more. Throughout her life, a sort of source of friction with one of her more fortunate sisters. But she regarded herself living in that imaginary space that so many prefer to live in. Class is defined by attitude rather than a bank account. Perhaps because she has seen real poverty growing up as she looked around her living room with the worn couch and fairly new color TV and thought of the well-stocked closet in her bedroom and her second-hand Impala and her occasional trips with her sisters and friends. She considered herself, if not well-off, then certainly not poor. The question for my family was how she managed to do it. How did we have a sort of middle-class life on incomes below the poverty line? Budgeting skills? Her detailed list-making for every bill to be paid and purchase to be made? Right down to toilet paper, noted in her shopping list as ass-wipers. A private joke, I presume. Was it lessons learned from her penny-saving mother, saddled with an unreliable, boozing house-painter husband? We could never figure out her secret. My mother liked to recall a scene from the 1960s TV show Combat about an army army platoon in World War II Europe. In one episode, the famished men find and cook a chicken, and there seems to be a chicken leg for every member of the platoon, legs as plentiful as bullets during battles. From that one chicken, my mother always marveled and laughed, That was like her financial gift. Not quite loaves and fishes, but so many chicken legs miraculously emanating from just one chicken. I see you laughing, but you're laughing too loud. I tried to find you, you were lost in the crowd. Girl, you kill me. I understand, don't you see? Say goodnight, say goodnight, say goodnight, say goodnight, Rhonda Lee. You take the windows, paint the midnight blue. You're holding on tight to a life you outgrew. Can I remind you to breathe? 
Lightly, those of another, in an alley, atop a sewer grate, while flowing beneath toward the white foam river, the juice of our vast consumer waste, and it stinks. The kiss, of course, cannot wait. This one's dedicated to all the freaky people out there, all us lovely freaks and weirdos. Just trying to make it through life, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes, it's rough out there. Just try to keep a sense of humor. Try to stay human, you know what I'm saying? Starvation is a creation of the devil, a rebel. I'm bringing food to the people like a widow. Bringing flowers to a grave in the middle. Of the city, isolation is a riddle. To be surrounded by a million other people. But feel alone like a tree in the desert. Dried up like the skin of a lizard But full of color like the spots of a leopard Drum and bass pull me in like a shepherd Scratch my itch like a needle on a wreck Full of life like a man going to Mecca Sky high like an eagle up soaring I speak low but I'm like a lion roaring Baritone like a Robeson recording I'm giving thanks for being human every morning Cause the streets are alive With the sound of boom bah. Can I hear it once again? Boom bah. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend Every box got a right to be booming Because the streets are alive With the sound of boom bah. Can I hear it once again? Boom bah. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend Every flower got a right to be booming Be resistant The negativity, we keep it at a distance Call for backup and I give you some assistance like a lifesaver deep in the ocean Stay afloat here upon the funky motion Rock and roll upon the waves of the season Hold your breath and your underwater breathing To be rhyming without a real reason Is to claim but not to practice a religion If television is the drug of the nation Satellite is immaculate reception Beaming in they can look and they can listen So you see, don't believe in the system To legalize you or give you your freedom you want rights? Ask them, they'll read them. 
But every flower got a right to be blooming Stay human Because the streets are alive With the sound of boom, bop Can I hear it once again? Boom, bop Tell your neighbor, tell a friend Every box got a right to be booming Because the streets are alive With the sound of boom, bop Can I hear it once again? Boom, bop Tell your neighbor, tell a friend Every flower got a right to be blooming Cause all the freaky people make the beauty of the world All the freaky people make the beauty of the world. All the freaky people make the beauty of the world. Because all the freaky people make the beauty of the world. That's locked or been broken By the pain of words not spoken Nor shot by guns or still smoking Cartwrights out on the Ponderosa Or drive by banging Testarossa We need to heed the words of Dalai Lama Or at least the words of your mama Take a mental trip to the Bahamas Steam your body in the stereo sauna, sauna, Because the streets are alive With the sound of boom, Can I hear it once again? Boom, bop. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend, every box got a right to be booming. Because the streets are alive with the sound of boom, bop. Can I hear it once again? Boom, bop. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend, every flower got a right to be booming. Because the streets are alive with the sound of boom, bop. Can I hear it once again? Boom, bop. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend, every box got a right to be booming. Because the streets are alive. The sound of boom bop. Can I hear it once again? Boom bop. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend. Every flower got a right to be blooming. And every box got a right to be booming. And every child got a right to be zooming. Every voice got a right to be Scooby Dooing. Scooby Dooing, 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 Dooing. Scooby Dooing. There you have it, episode 244 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, community activist Patrick Clark. Also our associate producer and resident essayist, Dr. Michael Pavis, a.k.a. Uncle Cesare. And these musical artists, L.L. Cool J, John Hartford, David Rawlings, Nicole Atkins, Michael Fronte, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Terrence Blanchard, and Branford Marsalis, too. Until next week, enjoy this one. Thanks for listening.